Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have a new conversation. Our guest is Steve Sebesma, a longtime concert promoter and one of the partners in the creation of Deer Creek Music Center outside Indianapolis. Sebesma hopped on a call with Mark to tell him about his newly created Indiana Concert Archive website, indianarockhistory.com, and about his concert promotion journey. In the interview, Steve talks about how the Rolling Stones played a pivotal role in taking out his competitors, and why the Stones steered clear of Indiana for years, how much U2 and ACDC got paid the first time they played a show in Indiana, and the fascinating history of Deer Creek Music Center. As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Why don't we start out by talking about the website? Where did the idea come from, and how long did it take you to put together? I thought a good website for the history would be a great way to record things. A, a little bit of a uh, labor of love. <laughs> at, at this point now, there's over 3,500 shows, and it's still not complete. I marvel at that list and just who played here and when and where. It's it's an amazing resource. That's what I like about it. It's yeah. a resource, and it's something that if, if it's not recorded now, it's never going to happen. You started, you said, in 72. Was that Isaac Hayes? Do I remember that correctly, that that was your first show? That was Dave Lucas's show. Oh, okay. Dave Lucas and Joe Halderman started Sunshine Promotions just before I started promoting. I joined Dave and Joe in the summer of 74. I kept all my calendars where I wrote notes in my calendars from 1972 on. And at Sunshine, we kept records because we were always competing with our other promoters. We'd always need to reference, well, we did Van Halen in Indianapolis and Evansville and Fort Wayne on these dates. You know, it's kind of our date. You know, why would you give it to them? You know, we, we're the history. We're the promoter of record with that artist. And we kept the record of the artist, of who was the opening act, what the attendance was, what the gross receipts were, and how much we paid the artist. So all that information is also in there, which something that otherwise would never be known. It's interesting that our first Rolling Stone show, we paid him $50,000 in 1975. It's interesting that we paid ACDC $250 for their first show at the Circle Theater <laughs> with, with, uh, <laughs> with uh, Foreigner, who's the, the headliner. And it's interesting that we paid U2 $2,000 in 1984 to open for the Jay Giles Band. What was the biggest payout you ever had the biggest payout to an artist yes to an um, artist yeah <laughs> well i guess the first time i ever wrote a check to an artist for over a million dollars was in 1989 rolling stones and we we had the two shows at the, was it the hoosier yeah, hoosier yeah the hoosier I back then i was probably one of the biggest you know guarantees got bigger as the years went on <laughs> yeah yeah and and so did concert ticket prices i mean you've got right. a lot of a lot of great pictures on the site of ads with for tickets for concerts that were you know five dollars i can remember when the eagles played at deer creek and charged a hundred dollars and everybody was just shocked 
balked at the idea of $100. And now, of course, it's routine to be over $100 for a ticket. They, they, were, they were shocked, but they paid it. In 74, you started with Sunshine, or you you and Dave got together and, and made Sunshine. What it, yeah, they, and Joe, Joe Holderman was a and partner. Joe. Yeah. 
And the show only did about 25,000 people. I don't have that. Yeah. It was. No, that's my recollection as well. Yeah. And and what I do remember is you put it on sale pretty late in the, I mean, it was a summer show and there were so many shows that summer that I think people yeah. were just tapped out. So getting back to the website, you've made it so that it's, it's not just a place to go and read, but it's an interactive site. Can you talk a little bit about your thinking on that? and what you're hoping to get? It's interactive because people can tell stories too. They can say, I went to the David Bowie concert and my, I met my wife there and we're still married, you know? Yeah. Or they can talk about, they got to meet Eddie Van Halen and went backstage and they can tell their stories because each listings has a blog on there where you can, you can tell your story. And when you go into the more info section of each thing, there's, you know, I'm trying to collect the backstage passes, the tickets, the posters, and photographs. Let's talk a bit about Deer Creek. Indianapolis is a pretty conser was a pretty conservative city and I always had the impression I mean Deer Creek was a bit of a fight, right? To to get it built. The Grateful Dead coming was a bit of a fight to get them the permission to have them here. Talk about how you navigate the political and, and personal situations to, to get things done here. Getting Deer Creek done it took us three years to find the site, but let me tell you the full history. It was 1978, Dave and Joe and I said, these amphitheaters are doing pretty well in other cities. The Detroit Pine Knob does huge business. And so Dave and I went to Detroit in 1978 to look at Pine Knob. We were disappointed because we saw how much it would cost to build an amphitheater. It was a major undertaking. And in 1978, there was no way we could come up with 7 or 8 or $10 million to build an amphitheater. So we came back and we made a deal with the sports center. And we started doing a summer concert series at the Indianapolis Sports Center. Did that for 10 years, I think, before, before Deer Creek happened. And we started looking for sites to build Deer Creek. And we looked at Westfield, Indiana, I think was our first location. And we'd have these zoning meetings and we'd have these meetings with you know, the local people. And it, it started trying to build a, a waste treatment plant in, in the middle of a <laughs> shopping center or something because <laughs> nobody wanted it near them. So we, we looked at Westfield first and we were shot down there. Then we went northwest Indianapolis and we were kicked out of there pretty quickly. And then we went to downtown. We thought we were going to get it done downtown at White River State Park. And uh, we got shot down there. And then when we found the Noblesville site, we found 200 acres there. And it wasn't zoned. It wasn't like we had to get new zoning for what we wanted to do. There was no zoning. There was a, it was just farmland. And I always remember learned learned a good lesson then. We uh, went to buy the 200 acres, and, and the guy had, he had it for sale for $1,800 an acre. And made a big mistake. We offered him what he would ask. <laughs> <laughs> if we got offered him 1400 an acre, we probably would have bought it for 1600 an acre. But we, we offered to, to buy it for 1800 an acre. And he said, no, I think it was $5,000 an acre. <laughs> 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 it cost us a million dollars. Anyway, it was a lesson learned. But, you know, we had a big fight in Noblesville, too. That took um, maybe nine months or a year. I can't remember, six months. I do have all those records, but it, but it was a big fight. And we had a lot of commission meetings, and we finally got it passed. You know, all the neighbors 
at Deer Creek. They thought we were going to drive their property values down. Nobody wanted to live out there, which is absolutely the opposite of what happened. You know, the property values went through the roof. They built everything up around there. And uh, it was a great thing for Nobleville in the area surrounding uh, the amphitheater. And then you find you did get the the White River State Park project done eventually. Right? Uh, yeah, Dave got that done after I he got that done in two thousand four. Yeah, because I quit in two thousand. For any particular reason? You know, I guess I was been doing it for what almost thirty years, and we we're working harder and harder. More like I was more independent, and and the corporate thing wasn't exactly what I like, but maybe it was a mistake, but it's what I did, and I you can't, can't look back, but we sold the company, stayed three years after we sold it, so we had we had made a lot of money, and, and I wanted to go out and see the world and enjoy it, so I traveled around the world for a few years after I retired. When you did sell out, it was mostly because everybody was selling out, right? I mean, didn't, was it SFX that came along and, and bought everything up? consolidation that was going to happen if we stayed independent we might lose on the deal the guy that bought was a guy named bob silverman and i had known him for many years and then he bought wfbq radio right before he bought us and i called him up and i said hey bob you want to when you come into town let's let's go out to dinner or something and he said well i'm probably not going to come into town but he said i just i just bought delsner slater which is his first purchase the new york promoter and he said would you be interested in selling your business? And I said, we're enough money, sure. <laughs> for the right amount of money, anything's for sale. And we had tried to go public before that because you know, we, were, we were growing and expanding and we built the amphitheater in Columbus, Ohio, and we refurbished the theater in Louisville, and then we were, were doing the Mirai Theater at the same time. So we tried to go public, and that failed, and that was a pretty brutal year for us because it's expensive to do, and didn't work so two other things one is clearly your high school guidance counselor did not tell you that you should go into concert promotions how did you know to do this well i didn't know and i was 20 21 i was a heavy equipment operator i worked construction running bulldozer on interstate highways and stuff i lived in a house with three guys in 1971 and one of them was a record rep one of them was a DJ for WIFE Radio, and the other guy, uh, Harry, was, a, was an agent for Go-Go Girls. And one day, Harry and I were sitting around saying, why don't we do a rock concert? And that's how I got into it, and it sounded great, and started doing it. And the last thing I want to ask you is, is just let's let's go back to the, to the website. What are you hoping will come out of this? I'm not really sure. I, I think I'd just like to see it become a good history that's there and where people can contribute to it and make it a more complete and then it's always there as a reference i just didn't want the history to be lost and all this history that we had i just thought it was better shared than it was just in my books and my boxes and stuff that might initially be gone forever i am writing a book i think i have a pretty interesting book to write and i'm working on that right now when do you hope to have that out I think it's going to take me a while. 
Well, great. Well, thanks so much. This is this has been fun. I learned a lot, and there's more to learn. So it'll be yeah. fun to watch the website develop and and see what what comes of it and what people's memories are. Good to talk to you, Mark, and I appreciate uh, you reaching out to me. Let's just keep in touch. All right. Take care. We'll talk again. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye bye. Okay. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember, you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed.